welcome to another message presented by the ministry of Christian Faith Fellowship. We are fulfilling the call of God on this ministry to preach the Word of God without compromise, raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that we have to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. So in Hebrews chapter 12, this is the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And we've been doing a series in Elevate in Youth on gratitude. Uh, that's something that God says in the last days is in short supply. That thankful people are not easy to find. And yet, we're supposed to be thankful. And you know, I'm thinking about all the things that we've led into. Everything Pastor shared over the last few weeks. And then what Brother Charlie shared. It's just, it, the Holy Spirit's trying to tie a message together for us. Well, last time I preached, I preached one called Focus, Where's Yours? Well, this is part two, the Thanksgiving edition. Because I, we were talking about this in youth, and Pastor, I realized most people who struggle with being thankful are gratitude. People who struggle with worship. So, sometimes we should turn the cameras around so y'all can see yourselves. You'd be going, whoa. People who struggle to engage are not God conscious. You did a whole series on that. We become self-conscious. Like when Mike's getting ready to go, Mike, you nervous? Mike, you nervous? He's like, well, I wasn't, but <laughs> now that you mention it, you know what I mean? We become self-conscious or we live sin-conscious lives. Lives of always trying to be good enough and we miss out on our thankfulness for God. God's already done. He's already done it all. Amen? And so I mentioned that People that aren't God conscious are not going to be thankful. If you are conscious of God, then you're aware of everything he's doing in your life and that every good and perfect gift comes from him. And man, you're going to be thankful. And people who are God conscious are also God confident. And that's what I want to share this morning a little bit. But I want to recap just a bit. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Y'all know this one. Uh, I've got a, I hate when I do this to myself. Here we go. Hebrews 12, 2. We know this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We talked about it's better translated, fixing our eyes on Jesus, focusing, paying, paying real close attention, right? And so I want to briefly, briefly recap what we talked about uh, several weeks ago so I can bring everybody together, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to share in your word. And God, I pray you would help me to clearly articulate what you've given me. I pray it would come to life, Lord, and every heart and every life. And for everybody who's struggling, Lord, in an area, that they would see that the answer's already been given. It's right there for them to take hold of. So open our hearts to receive from you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned I was pastor's opening act for his Thinking Like God Thinks series. That was the last time I preached, was right before he did that series. And you'll remember we were talking about focus, and I said one of the ways to best determine where your focus is is by what you're thinking about. Stop for a minute and think about what you're thinking about. That will tell you what you're looking at. It'll tell you where your focus is. And we talked about strongholds, and we talked about imaginations and, and, those, and those errant thoughts, right? Taking captive those thoughts. And then Pastor brought out in his series 
that it's not up to us. We can't do it ourselves. But God's given us weapons, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5. Though we walk in the flesh, we don't wage war in the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The casting down of imaginations. It kind of goes in reverse. Because it starts with a thought. The stray thought. And then if you allow that stray thought to come in and marinate and soak in, it becomes an imagination. And I use the illustration of you guys are taking a thought that the devil sends. And you're building you a big screen theater with multi-surround sound. And just playing it over and over and over again. When you do that, it will make the change from an imagination in your mind to a stronghold in your heart. And that's where we get into trouble. But it's interesting too, it says we have to cast down imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Amen? Well, why is that important? Why is that such a big deal? Something that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. 2 Peter 1.3 says he's given us everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness by what? The knowledge of God. The knowledge of him. So if we have something coming in and messing with that, what's it doing? It's separating us from our provision. It's separating us from our promises. So the battlefield is in your mind. You do realize God's given an editing function to every one of us. You decide what you think about. That's your choice. Now, yes, you, you didn't send the thought or you didn't say, well, I want that thought sent. We talked about the fact that it's Martin Luther that first coined the phrase that you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep from building a nest in your hair. So what do you choose to think about? That's where it starts. And I was thinking about this armor that God gave us, and Pastor went into a lot of detail about that. The armor God gave us, we find out in Ephesians chapter 6, he gave us a helmet of salvation, which is the what? Mind of Christ. A helmet is a defensive part of your armor, like your shield. Think about that shield. What does that shield of faith do? What's its ability? Extinguishes all the fiery darts of the enemy. I want to guarantee you that helmet's made of the same kind of stuff. And if you'll actually put on that helmet of salvation and have the mind of Christ and think like God thinks, you hear what I'm, it will extinguish most of those little darts and those thoughts themselves. But then the stray one that gets through, you got to deal with it before it becomes an imagination. Because once it becomes a stronghold, you have serious problems. Proverbs 4.23 tells us to guard our hearts with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. The fact that it says guard your heart with all diligence tells me it's not just something you can kind of see to, that you have to actually pay attention. Amen? I was reading a book a while back by Charles Spurgeon, and he said, you know, the, the heart is the citadel of man. A citadel was that fortress that was up high over a city and provided protection. Well, that's what your heart does. And military strategists knew that if you could capture the citadel, the city would fall. That's why the devil goes after your heart. Because if he can get your heart, then you're going to follow. And that means, and that's why you think about this. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What did he say? You love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Why is heart first? Because when you get the heart, you get everything else. That's why we give Jesus our heart. Amen? That's why young folks and everybody in here, it's real important who you allow, who you give your heart to. Because there's things in this life and there's people in this life that will try to capture our heart that the wisdom of God would say, no, 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 don't go anywhere near that. 
So we have to guard our hearts. Because out of, the, out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus also said the mouth speaks. And, you know, we've had, again, I keep thinking back to some of these series we've done, Pastor, about the power of our words. You know, Proverbs 18.21 says that death and life is in the power of the tongue. So if out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaking, and death and life is in the power of the tongue, and your heart's messed up, what are you speaking? And those who love it shall eat of its fruit. Oops. And then we go on, James chapter 3, and I love the way he put this, is that you actually, your words will set the course of your life. And you can set it on fire. And then Jesus summed it all up in Matthew 12 when he said, you will give an account for every idle word. And by your words you'll be justified. And by your words you'll be condemned. So, it is a battle of our minds. It begins in our mind. It moves into our tongue. And then, ultimately, it's settled in the heart. So it's important that we fix our eyes. Fix them. Focus. Laser focus on Jesus. So how do we do that? <clears throat> and I gave the example, which I believe is the, and I was talking about this with Terry yesterday on the way to the airport. Perfect example of walking by faith is Peter in Matthew 14. Y'all know the story. We don't have time to get into all of it, but y'all know the story. You know how that whole chapter started? It started with John the Baptist being beheaded. Jesus going to process this. To, to deal with it, to grieve, to spend time with the Father, to mourn, right? And to spend time with the Father and be encouraged. And then people saw him. And so when people saw Jesus, what did he do? He taught them. He ministered to them. And then this huge crowd gathers and the guys show up. And he says, man, send them away, Lord. It's time for them to get something to eat. He goes, you feed them. And, and I love this because, you know, the Bible, as, as we know, and as pastors explained many times, was not written chapter and verse. Especially these letters. How many of y'all write letters? We do a newsletter every month from Terry Miles Ministries. I can promise you it ain't chapter and verse. But Paul's doing these and John's doing these. Anyway, these things are there and we put them in that order. But if, when you read it sometimes, like, well, chapter 10 had this and chapter 14 had this. But it could have been literally 24 hours or less. So in, in, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus had taken all the disciples and he had empowered them. He'd given them authority to go out and to do what? And, and Charlie shared this last week, to cast out devils. Heal the sick, heal all manner of disease. So he'd given them the ability to walk in the supernatural. Guys, I gave the ability to walk in the supernatural, so you feed them. Feed them. There's 5,000 men here, plus women and children. They didn't count. I just want to say this. The five, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. 5,000 men, that's a lot of people. You feed them. Well, I don't know, Pastor, what you got? Well, got a car, just got this. There's no way. It's a year's wages. So, but still, Jesus told him to do it. So Andrew, the practical guy, is going around there. Anybody got any food? Anybody got any food? One kid is willing to give it up. Five loaves, two fish. We know that story, right? So they feed the 5,000. Then Jesus gets done with all that. We're going to go back into that in a minute. He says, y'all go to the other side and wait on me. So they're out there in the middle of the storm. And then the storm comes up. It's 3 a.m. They're struggling. It's, it's dangerous out there. Jesus sees them in trouble, goes walking to them on the water. They think it's a ghost. And again, just four chapters prior, these guys are empowered and they're casting out demons and they're healing the sick. They're walking in the supernatural. Oh, it's a ghost. Guys, it's me. Don't be afraid. Peter. That sounds like Jesus. Okay, well, if that's you, Lord. Tell me to come walk to you on the water. One word. Elthe. Come. I'd have been wanting a little more than that. Because you've got to remember, it's 3 a.m. It's dark. It's a storm. You can't see. That sounded like Jesus. I'd like to make sure, so let me ask a question. Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to you on the water. Elthe, come. 
Okay. <laughs> and so he steps down out of the boat and he begins to walk on the water. So he gets one word from God. Isn't that what Brother Copeland said? One word from God can change your life forever. One word from God, he steps out in faith, he fixes his eyes on Jesus, and his faith in the word and his focus on Jesus makes the impossible possible. God makes a way where there was no way. That's what faith does. But I think it's important to note, Peter couldn't see anything. There was no Holy Ghost highway, <laughs> no supernatural sidewalk that showed up there. There was simply, I've got my eyes on Jesus. I heard his word. I'm stepping out in his word. It would have been impossible to see in the first place. And if he could have seen it, what would that tell you? It's not faith because what is faith? The substance of things, hope for the evidence of things not seen. So many of God's greatest miracles, my favorite stories in the Bible are like that. See, we're all focused on what we can see. We're supposed to be fixing our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because what you have here is not all there is. But if you choose to focus on it, then that's all there is. I was thinking about Elijah's miracle in 1 Kings 17. And then these are familiar stories. We don't have to go there and read them. But Elijah has been told by God that he's going to sustain him using a widow at Zarephath. So he says, okay, take off and go to Zarephath. A widow there will sustain you. And I know in Elijah's mind, he's got to be going, oh, I'm going to go find a Gentile widow. Because Gentiles are so, so loving and friendly to us Jews. And a widow, widows are known for their abundance. So yeah, I mean, you know, but, but he went. Because God told him to go. It didn't make sense in the natural. Again, not what's going on here, but what you've got in your heart. So he goes there. He runs across this little lady who's picking up sticks. She didn't even have firewood. That's how broke she was. She's gathering some sticks. He goes, excuse me, ma'am, uh, would you get me a glass of water? Okay, a cup of water. And, and a morsel of bread. And she goes, I'm going to stop you right there. <laughs> Let me explain what I'm doing. I'm not just picking up sticks for fun. I'm going to make a little fire. I have just enough flour and just enough oil to make myself, my son and I, one cake. And we're going to eat it and we're going to die. But he says, don't do that. Give me one first. Make me one first. And the Lord says... That that flour and that oil will not run out until the day God sends rain on this earth. This is a Gentile woman, but what is she also? She's a woman of faith. And so she does it. And we talked about this in Elevate a while back, and I think Grayson did the math, and we figured it out that Elijah stayed with him for a year. Yeah, you're in there, Bill. Almost 1,100 meals for three people. 3,285 cakes out of one. Now you talk about good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over, amen? It was all due with faith. It had nothing to do with what you could see. Elisha's miracle in 2 Kings 4, you remember that? The widow? Pastor shared about this while back, the widow. Of one of the sons of the prophet, he'd run up a lot of debt. They'd come, they'd taken everything out of the house. They're about to take her sons. They'd taken everything of value. And she goes to Elisha and says, help me. What? He goes, okay, well, what do you have in your house? God will always ask you, what do you have? This is a covenant relationship. What can you bring? Well, it's nothing. Folks, nothing's nothing with God. Well, I've got a souk. Uh, uh, they took all my cooking oil, but I've got a little container of anointing oil. That's what a lot of theologians believe is just a small jar. Okay, 
Then you go out there and you gather every vessel you can. All of them, not just a few. Go to your friends, neighbors, borrow them all. Fill them up. You sell that stuff, you pay the debt, and then you live off the rest. And so they go out and they borrow a whole bunch of vessels. A whole bunch of vessels. And they start filling and pouring and filling and pouring and filling and pouring. And it's like, can you believe this? Bring me another one. Don't have any more. Stopped. But they sold all of it. They paid off that massive debt. The sons didn't have to go be sold into slavery. And they lived off the rest of what was in this jar. So by what you could see, it was nothing. But with God's hands, it was everything. Even earlier before the storm happens, when they're feeding the 5,000 men plus women and children. Folks, I've been doing this a long time. I've been in hundreds of churches across this country. Plus revivals and camp meetings and everything else. And, and pastor will tell you too, when he goes places, it's mostly women and children. This church is an exception. I think, and I'm just going to brag on pastor because he's here. That's, that's good leadership. You got men going to this church. A lot of churches don't have that. It's the, the ladies have sustained it for years. Even Jesus' ministry, he had ladies that were sustaining him. But there's 5,000 men. They're seated all in groups of 50. So let's just add a wife to each one or a kid. So that's 100 groups of 50. Well, there's 200 groups of 50. Let's say there's a kid. Let's just say there's 300 groups of 50. You've got one kid's lunch, one Happy Meal. And they come to Jesus and they give it to him and he gives thanks and he breaks it and he goes and they go to the groups of 50 and they bring it down. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. And everybody takes. And I've got to get this right and I apologize if this person ever sees it. This was a preacher. He said, and I've got to get his voice and his face right. You know, Jesus always taught in parables and allegories. And this parable about feeding the 5,000 is a perfect example of the power of sharing. <laughs> you couldn't give a molecule of each one of those things to all those people. It's a perfect illustration of the power of God. And not only that, it says right there in Matthew 14, 20, they all ate their field. They went golden corral style. And there was 12 baskets left over. There wasn't one to begin with the 12 left over. Man. That's why you got to read the Bible, man. Don't listen to what people, you got to say, that's not what the Bible said. Yeah, they shared. That kid shared his lunch and look what God did. Anything, little as much when God is in it. That's why this whole idea of, well, when he's talking about uh, the grain of a mustard seed, you know, the, what it means is if you got that much, like the widow with two mites, Jesus was impressed by her giving. It was nothing in the natural, but it was everything to her, and it was everything to him. And we don't read the rest of her story, but I know my Lord. That woman was blessed for the rest of her life. Amen? Twelve baskets of leftovers. Folks, it's not what you see in the natural. Because if you choose to live by that, you are stuck. You're stuck. How many of y'all want to be unstuck? You want to be free, all right? So, I'm going through a ton of scriptures, and like Terry always says, I'm not having you turn there. I, I usually just quote them because if you wait, Pastor, when you wait for everybody to get there, then your time's up when you get to the third one. I, I've got a sheet with them all on there I'll bring tonight if you want them. There's probably 80 of them in here. But they're just different stories from the Bible. But if you fix your eyes on Jesus, this is what I want you to get. If you fix your eyes on Jesus, you trust his word, and you step out in faith, you step out of the natural, 
and into the supernatural. You can walk, live supernaturally. Peter had seen Jesus do miracles. He'd witnessed it firsthand. He had then been given authority and power to do them himself. How many of you guys have ever prayed for somebody? You've seen God do a miracle through your prayer. I told Terry yesterday about when I laid hands on my cat. I shared that with you guys. And I went, <laughs> I mean, it, to this day, it's still like, it's, and it's not that I'm surprised. I'm just like, wow, God, thanks. He's like, dude, I want to do it all the time. Just believe. Peter had seen that. He'd experienced that. He'd walked in that. I'm telling you, it gives you goosebumps. You feel that the power of God goes out of you when you pray for it. It's like, oh gosh, it just feels so good. So he'd experienced that. He'd also, as a fisherman, been on that sea when those tumults came up. He knew it was dangerous. And so in his mind... I need to get out of the natural and into the supernatural where Jesus is. So he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. But we read on, when Peter saw the wind, he became afraid. Becoming afraid, he began to sink. And I've always looked at this and I've always wondered about this. You know, and, and Terry shared about it last time he was here. What was he walking on? Did they make him lighter, the water heavier? I mean, what what'd they do? Were they laying down? Kind of like I was telling Brandy when she gave her testimony about how the angels protected, you know, uh, Mike and the kids. Did they just lay, lay down there and let them, you know, walk? I mean, how did, how did it happen? What I believe is he stepped out in faith on that word, and it was almost like his faith began to knit him. A place to stand and a place to walk. But when fear entered in, it began to dissolve. Because fear is just faith in reverse. It's almost like when you watch the, the, the video going forward and they run it back. Everything that had been built starts to go away. Not only that, it stole his courage, and he was unable to stand. Even with the great armor we have, Paul instructs us, the Holy Spirit tells Paul, tell him this, after you've done all, stand. That's why I gave you armor, that's why I gave you a shield. You're going to have to stand there sometimes and take it. Peter, the Bible says he saw the wind was boisterous. Dude, it was boisterous when you stepped out of the boat. Isn't that the story? It was already a storm out there. Oh, there's a storm. Oh, no. There was a storm, bro, when you came out here. And then he does something that I think is awesome. You know, there was one word, Elthay, to get him to come out. It says he's beginning to sink, which again, it's unraveling. It doesn't unravel all at once. It's unraveling, so he's beginning to sink. Another miracle. I've tried to do this. I've told you all before, I can't do it. No matter how much I weigh, I could lose 100 pounds. I still won't be able to begin to sink. I'm going to step in the pool. I'm going to hit the bottom. That's just how it is. But he was beginning to sink. And he cried out, Lord, help me. And Jesus said, you dummy. Kicked water in his face. No, he didn't. Every time I hear somebody tell that story, well, he chewed him. No, he didn't. Oligo piste. One word, oligo piste, little faith. <laughs> Peter got all these names. Petra, that's a good one. Petros, little faith, oligo piste. But he didn't, he didn't even say that until he got him up out of the water and was walking back with him. So Peter gets to do the miraculous a second time, walking back to the boat. Which is exactly two more times than anybody else did. They all sat there. And I, let me just say this to you. If you get out there and God tells you to do something and you try it, it doesn't work at first, and people start pointing fingers, what are they doing? 
Well, you, you churches, y'all do. They'll take y'all's tax write-offs away. You know, say so you do this and this with the poor. And I always want to say, well, what did you give? Huh? Well, what did you do? Obviously, you're an expert on this, and what should be given is, so what did you give? Exactly. Nothing. So, shh. Right? No, really. People always criticize from a distance. But the people who walk in faith are the ones that blaze the trails. They're the ones that do the great things that God has for them to do. Other people just sit back. He says, little faith. What was little about that faith? He stepped out of the boat where he couldn't see. When everybody said it was a ghost and he believed it was Jesus and he stepped out there. What was little about it was the amount, the endurance of it. The wind blew and he threw it in. He gave up. What would happen in your life if you'd have given up every time something you know, that's why some of us are still where we are. We haven't gotten to the next level because we get a little pushback. Oh, God, oh no. You just got to keep going. I quote the great prophet Rocky Balboa. It ain't how hard you hit. It's how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. That's why he gave us armor, folks. You know, in the next chapter, he's going to encounter... None of this was in my notes earlier, but I think it's worth going there. He's going to encounter a Canaanite woman whose daughter is being demon-possessed. And she hears about Jesus. And she says, Lord, son of David, help my daughter. She's being possessed and, and harassed by demons. He doesn't answer her. The disciples say, man, get her out of here. Go away. The Lord, he says, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. So she continued to worship him. And then came up and said, well, and he says, woman, it, it wouldn't be right to give the children's food to the dogs. But yes, Lord, but even the dogs get to eat the scraps that fall from the children's table. Woman, great is your faith. Let it be as you ask. Your daughter's healed. Go. From that point, boom. Little faith, great faith. What was the difference? Peter knew Jesus. He'd been walking with Jesus. He'd experienced all that. He'd been anointed and empowered by Jesus to do the same things. But the first time the wind blew, oh, he gave up. This woman had heard of Jesus. But she believed. And she approached him and got no answer. And so she approached again. They tried to send her away. He said, hey, I didn't come for you. Well, yes, but you're the Lord, and hey, it's not right for me to do this. But even, she just continued, and she continued. And what did Jesus do? Whoa, great is your faith. Let it be unto you as you Let your daughter's healed. She never gave up. And when he said great is your faith, that word is megale, which means tremendous, almost perfect. He, that's what it means, almost perfect. Wow. He says to Peter, little faith. And then he asked him an important question. And this is important to, to understand. It wasn't until he got him back safely in the boat. He wasn't stomping and kicking him while he was down. He got him up. He walked hand, you walk hand in hand with Jesus. How many of y'all would like to walk hand in hand with Jesus? Wouldn't that be awesome? What a treat. You're doing something that everybody's just watching. You're hanging out with Jesus on the water. He said, why'd you doubt? You no, go ahead. No, no, no. He said, look, why did you doubt? If you believed... Which you did, obviously, because you, 
took yourself out of this boat into this storm and you started walking on the water because I told you to. So obviously you believed. So if you did, why did you doubt? You descended out of the boat and what? You didn't fall in. You made a choice. You made a faith choice. And I always think it's important that we understand how God sees us. He's not an ogre. He's a loving, patient, just God. He'll, he'll, he'll set you straight. But he always speaks that truth in love. Peter had done, I want you to think about this. If you've ever coached, you've been a teacher, parent. Peter had done it. He'd done the impossible. He had done everything Jesus had taught him to do. He lost his focus. So as a coach... I'm out there coaching a the guy and, and you know, he can't hit a curveball right now or he's got himself a, dude, it's your focus. It's your concentration. Keep focused. That's why he says, keep focused. You did something only I have done. But you gave up when it got hard. Don't do that. Right? You know what Galatians 6, 9 says? Don't go weary in doing good. Why do I say that? Because Jesus gets excited when we get it right. In Luke chapter 10, and Charlie alluded to this last week, but he had his 12, then he had another 70 or 72, depending on what translation you read, but he had 70 more guys. And he did the same thing with them, sent them out two by two. You remember that story in Luke 10? When they came back and they said, whoa, Lord, this works. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he's like, yeah, I saw Satan fall like light from the sky. Don't worry about that guy. But let me tell you this. Don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you because of me. Rejoice that your names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. So in other words, don't get hung up on what you're doing. Get hung up on what I did, my father did. Focus, focus. What are you looking at? Even in good stuff, your focus can get off. If the devil can get your eyes off of Jesus in any way, he has you where he wants you. And the reason I know that Jesus rejoiced in that was in Luke chapter 10 and verse 21, it said in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit. Do you know that in all of scripture, this Greek word, I can't even say it right, egalisato, egalisato, means he rejoiced overwhelmingly. He rejoiced deeply. He rejoiced exceptionally. He was thrilled with joy. He went, y'all go, he went to the Father and he was literally thrilled. Why? Because they got it right. As a parent, when your kids get it right, remember when they learned to walk? Some of y'all now, you think about your grandkids. They're getting it right. I know pastor's the same way when he sees people getting, hey, what I've been preaching for, I can see you get it. Whew. It's a great feeling. It's, it's an overwhelming feeling that Jesus rejoiced. That's the only place in all the scripture that we see. This actually, and you know he obviously was happy more than that. I mean, the Bible never says he laughed, but you know he did. You know God has a sense of humor, amen? Look in the mirror if you doubt that anyway. No, <laughs> he does. He has a sense of humor. We know he's a man of sorrows. We know he was, it, three times it tells us he wept. Remember the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. But it says here, he was thrilled with joy because my kids got it right. So with Peter, dude, 
Work on your focus. Okay, so how do we do that? How do we, how do we do that? How can we develop? How can we build our God confidence and our, God, and our focus so that we can truly be thankful? If you're God conscious, you will be thankful. If you're God confident, you will be God conscious. You won't be looking to anybody else or anything else. You'll be looking to the Lord. So go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That's pretty good. It took me 20 minutes to recap all that. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I want to talk about how we can wholly focus on God so that we can be God conscious and live lives of thanksgiving. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, excuse me. New King James, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now since it says therefore, we know we have to go back a little bit. If you go back in these first 11 verses, Paul is talking about the failure of God's people to be faithful. Say this with me. Say faithfulness. faithfulness. Counts. <laughs> faithfulness. Obedience is better than sacrifice. God wants us to be obedient. He wants us to be faithful. Paul has talked in these first 11 verses about how great God's miracles, how great God's provision was, but how pitiful the faith was of God's people. In verse 11, it says, Now all these things happen to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I'm not a huge proponent of these paraphrased versions, etc., because, I mean, when I read the Bible and share it, I paraphrase it, you know. But there's one in the message that is worded so well, and it, when I read this, it just opened up stuff I already knew. It wasn't a new revelation. It's just like, wow, I really see it. It says it this way, don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. What is God confidence? It's faith. I, I don't know how. I just know God's going to do it. His word says it. I believe it. You know, God's word is settled forever in heaven and earth, whether you believe it or not. But if you believe it, well, I believe it's your pin number. That will give you access to the things of God. But you have to believe it. I mean, it's, it's, it's settled whether you believe it or not. You know, why do the nations rage? Why, why do people think, you know, go climb it, this and that? You ain't going to destroy this planet. God's going to do it. He already said. And nothing's going to change that. I was talking with my sons the other day, and he's talking about, well, I said, bro, come on. You've been taught the Bible since you, you know, could read. You know. Well, we know well, but if God said it, that's it. You might as well believe it. Because if you believe it, you get access to it. You get blessed by it. If you don't believe it, well, it's going to happen anyway. But the world wants us to be self-confident. I was talking with somebody the other day. They called me for a, uh, just to check somebody, you know, to get my, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You give somebody a good reference. reference thank you. <laughs> I couldn't think of that. They, they, they wanted a reference. And so I'm telling about it. And I'm, I have all this information. But, but uh, are, they, are, they, are they really self-confident? Well, I mean, you know, they're successful. They were really good. But, but, but are they self-confident? I said, man, what are, you, what are you asking me this? He goes, well, we've changed our way of hiring. We're not really looking for people as much for their experience. or that We want people that are self-confident. Because we can teach them our way and they'll be successful. What if they're dumb and self-confident? 
You ever seen somebody that was really self-confident and they were really bad? Right? I was like, well, you don't care about their education, you don't care about their background. No, no. I said, well, yeah, they're self-confident. Sure. Why does the world want that? Self-confidence, by definition, is being assured in yourself. We've been taught, the Bible's very clear about yourself. And by self, I'm talking about your old Adamic nature. That's yourself half the time, what the world's talking about. Because it's all about our personal judgment, our personal ability, our personal power, our personal qualities. But if you're a child of God who's been crucified with Christ, self-confidence is exactly the opposite of what you should have. Because it's the opposite of faith. It places a premium on the outward, the physical, the, the soulish realm. It's, uh, well... It's all about looks and talent and wealth and materialism and all that kind of stuff. All the things the Bible says, don't even think about that stuff. That stuff doesn't matter. Um, what they, they used to call it uh, in the old days, the arm of the flesh. But tell you, you don't trust in the arm of the flesh, it will fail you. Jeremiah 17. I remember that. That's because I'm old. Arm of the flesh. Philippians 3 puts it this way. Philippians chapter 3 verse 3 says... We Christians are the true circumcision who worship God in spirit and by the spirit of God and exult and glory and pride ourselves in Jesus Christ. We put no confidence or dependence on what we are in the flesh and on outward privileges and physical advantages and external appearances. The problem is mankind bases its hope all on the outward. That's why mankind is disappointed so often. I don't care how great of a singer you are, you're going to hit a bad note every once in a while. Uh, I don't care how good looking you are, young folks, you're going to get older, and you may not be as good looking when you get older. Those before and after pictures, someone will pop up on Facebook and I'll go, and now, now I see why Beth liked me, because I looked like that back then. But no, I'm just saying, you know, it's like, whoa, I look in the mirror now, I, go, I don't look. But see, I don't care about that. See, beauty has nothing to do with this. It's all this. God confidence bases its hope not on what we have, who we are in the flesh, but on who God is making us to be according to his promises. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Being confident of this. He who began a good work in you is faithful to carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Friends, self-confidence is a trap. And the sad thing is there's so much preaching about it today. I'm, I'm thankful that in Brother Hester's church and Pastor's church, we hear a lot about who we are in Christ. Because if you don't know that, you're just a punching bag for the devil. But even when our worship becomes about us too, I am brave, I am strong, I am this, I am that, I am this, I am that. Who am I singing that to? Me? <laughs> you know? As far as I'm concerned, in corporate worship, the only I should be, I exalt thee. Amen. Now, you can enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. You can enter his courts with praise. You know, thanksgiving is, and that's the thing about thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is your gate code. Praise is your house key. But worship is when you're sitting right there at the master's feet and, and worshiping him. And that has nothing to do with me. That has everything.
to do. I, I wish there were enough songs written that we could do it that way. I've always believed that worship songs could be about God. But then they have to be to him. Because he, as pastor said a couple weeks ago, that's why we're thankful. That's what Thanksgiving's about. It's about him. There was an old song <clears throat> the Imperials did years ago. It was called Because of Who You Are. And the chorus said, I'm not trying to sing it, but it said, Lord, I praise you because of who you are. Not for all the mighty things that you have done. Lord, I worship you because of who you are. You're all the reason that I need to voice my praise because of who you are. That's a worship song. Because of who you are. See, that's why I am who I am and who he made me, but it's just all because of him. It's seeking his face and getting his hand. Like that song we sing, more of you, Jesus, more of your face, more of your glory in this place, just being around you. I'm not just going to come only so I can ask you to do stuff for me. Bless me, Jesus, bless me. No, 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 no. I'm coming because I love you and I want to tell you that. But there's a trap of self-confidence that we see where our righteousness and our worth becomes based on what we do and how often we do it. And listen, I, let me just say this. There are absolutely things we need to do. Folks, God, is, God has given us a vision for a new, a new building, a new church, and uh, you know, a bigger area to reach all the people that are coming here. He can't do it by himself. He and I and whoever's here, we still can't do it. It's all God, but he's going to be sending more people. Which means we got to be ready for them. Amen. We got to get a vision for that. We got to understand that this is what's going to happen. God, thank you for using me. I'm excited. We, we can't see it in the natural. It doesn't make, that's what people that had, oh, why are you doing that? Because God's prepared. He got, that's the great thing about Revelation. You see it before it happens. What if, what if Noah had waited to build the ark until a week before the flood? <laughs> you know, it wouldn't happen, would it? So there's preparation. But the thing is, there's things that we have to do. Listen, in, in, in Luke 9, Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So he said, if you're going to come after me, there's some things you must do. There's things we must do. It's, just, it's, our, it's part of our family. It, this is a family business. There's things we're responsible for. And the thing is, if we get our minds right and our hearts right, and we become God-confident and God-conscious, then we don't have to do them anymore. We get to do them. How many of y'all are looking forward to spending some time with your family coming up? You get to do that. I have to. I remember when I was younger, I have to go to my grandma's house. <sighs> I would give anything to go to my grandma's house now. You know what I mean? Don't do stuff because you have to. Do it because you get to. That's the cheerful giver part. That's what God loves. It ain't just your money. Hey, time, talent, and tithe. <laughs> All of it. Let me ask you. I asked you this last week. How much of you belongs to God? All. How much of this world belongs to God? All. So why do we have such a hard time giving it back to him? He's letting us keep everything else. None of it's ours. Can you imagine? Richest guy in the world right now. I'm not sure who that is. Pales in comparison to our Lord. But let's say you got Elon Musk or one of those guys there. And he says, hey, guys, uh, I tell you what. Here's all my stuff. Here's all my banks. Here's all my portfolio. Here's all my stuff. Just, just leave me this, you know, and then whatever else you want to leave on top of that. Just leave me 10%, whatever you want to leave on top, but you have everything else. <laughs> Woo! 
Christmas is going to be good this year. That's what God did. He made us stewards of his kingdom. We are heirs and joint heirs. We're too much like that older brother. Well, the younger brother goes, dude, it's all yours. You're a joint heir with Jesus. The issue is our focus. You know, you never have to make your children do what they want to do. You girls, I want y'all to go right now. You go get on, grab your, grab your parents' phone, get on FaceTime, do whatever. Y'all just hang out all day. Or y'all go back there and just hang out in your room all day. Eat candy, do whatever you want to do. Guys, y'all, y'all go back to your room, lock that door, and you do not finish. You don't come out until you finish that level on that video game. I mean it. Don't worry. I'll cook. I'll clean. I'll do everything else. But y'all do that. You do not have to tell kids to do that. Because they want to do it. When you change your focus and your perception to, I get to serve God. I get to be a part of this. This is awesome. Then you're going to want to do it. But the problem is, as long as you're looking at stuff you have to do, there's going to be times you can't make it. Some of y'all can't be here every time the doors are open. Just can't. Some of you can. If you can, you should be. But some of you got to work. Some of you got to do things. But, well, Pastor, I'm so sorry. You know, I was only able to be here three times last week instead of four, and I apologize for that. Why are you doing that? You're making it about what you're doing. You're losing your focus on what he did. When you do that, you start seeing yourself as something less. Well, I'm not as good as sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so. They do this and this and this, and that's not me. And now you're living a defeated life. Your joy's gone, which means your strength is gone, which means the devil's going to come and he's going to slap you upside the face. You probably haven't put your armor on. It's going to hurt really bad. You're going to cry to pastor about it. <laughs> Can't you come pray for me? Bro, put your armor on. Take that sword out. I promise you, if you have your armor on that sword drawn, he is not going to hit you. He's going to run the other way. We get deceived by making it about what we do. Because guys, how many of y'all have something you're just not good at? This guy here can do a little bit of everything. Come on. You know you can. <laughs> I, you know, I, I told Don the other day, <clears throat> when Don came and helped me do some stuff, when Josh was helping me, you know, when he was helping me work on my car, I'm like, dude, I wish I could do this stuff. I used to be able to, but I couldn't do music back then. I don't know if it was just a transfer or what happened, but I literally, when I try to fix stuff now, I'll smash my thumb, I'll smash my fingers. I'll drive, I mean, I just, I, I used to do it all the time. But then when I was pastoring, I had people around me who did it for me. I didn't have to do it anymore, and I just forgot how. And I'm not good at stuff. And who likes to do stuff you're not good at? No. And when we make it about that, you know, there's so many areas. Well, I don't, that's why people don't want to go to church or pray or witness or stuff because they don't feel like they're good at it. And then sometimes, you know, we, we that's the, me as a singer. I heard I wasn't any good. So I never did it. I was told by somebody who should have encouraged me, well, you're not that good. You're flat. You're the, okay. Stick to sports. Okay. I will. And then God decided to move a different way. And I started doing all this music and stuff. And like Gary would say, Mixed Band would say, well, you know, he never sang for me. No, dude, because nobody ever told me I was any good. And I was watching my friends try to do it and step out and get slapped on, stepped on. Plus, I'm thinking, if you could listen to Gary McSpadden, if somebody else is singing the song, you're just taking time that Gary McSpadden could be singing the song, you know? But it's not about that. It's about ministry. And I did all these things. I never did my first album until I was 47 years old because I was afraid to fail. And now I get messages all the time. 
pastor gets them too. You know, you get these messages from people in other countries who are listening to you do ministry. Talk about how it blessed them, how it changed them. And I'm like, man, I could have done a lot more of this if I hadn't been so scared I was going to be stink at it. We need to be encouraging one another. That's why we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Especially in these days. We need to be here to encourage one another. You see somebody down, man, lift them up. Don't waste time. I'm going to help some of you this morning as we close. I'm going to give you a scripture here that I think will help you a lot. Help me a lot. John chapter 15. Go ahead and turn there. We make a mistake sometimes, and I know I have, in teaching things and, and talking about things you need to do. Well, and we, and we do it in kids' church and we do it in youth. Fruit of the Spirit. Well, you don't seem to be walking in much love. You need to develop more love. You need to develop more joy. You need to develop more peace. No, you don't. You do not. John 15, verse 5. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. I want to help you with your focus. Your focus has everything to do with your connection. 1 John 3, John told us the one who keeps his commandments abides in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he's given us. So if we abide in him, if we keep his commandments, if we do his word, if we abide in his word, as pastors taught us over and over, then we abide in him and he abides in us. He goes on to say that we can ask what we desire and it'll be done for us. And why? By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. You and I simply need to reconnect to the vine. Just stay connected. Some of us are struggling, have been struggling for so long that, well, I'm not good enough for this. I, 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 I need to stop that. It's not about you. It's about him. All it's about you is getting connected to him. And every time we come together here in praise and worship and getting the word, when the word's coming forth, you're getting a chance to connect back to that vine. You're getting a chance to hear some of that truth. And the truth that you know is what the truth that sets you free. See, the truth I know, pastor knows, whatever. If you don't know it, it's not going to help you. But when you know the truth, the truth sets you free. It keeps you free. It is not your responsibility to create fruit. Your responsibility is to stay connected to the vine. Amen? It's all about connection. If you're here this morning and you're feeling guilty, there's a problem with your connection. Now, if, if you're following the Lord, if you're doing stuff wrong, then yeah, you're going to feel guilty. You're going to feel convicted. But if you're living for the Lord and you're feeling like you're not enough, there's a problem with your connection. If you're feeling condemned, there's a real problem because God doesn't condemn you ever. You know, we, we've talked about this before, but people that are self-confident, people that, were, people that are about their self, they're not always arrogant. They don't always come off as know-it-alls and this, that, and the other. People who are always beating themselves up are self-conscious. Because it's still all about them. It's just in a negative way. People who worry. If you didn't get anything else, I want you to get this. Fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. And here's how we know that. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
Fear is the substance of things worried about, the evidence of things not seen. Worry, I believe you said this, is simply a confident expectation of something bad. Whereas hope is a confident expectation of God doing something good. And so they are diametrically opposed. Fear and faith can't live in the same house, Terry says all the time. It's true. Because as you're growing in faith, your fear's going away. Why? Because it's disintegrating everything fear built up. That's what faith does. And perfect love casts out fear. Pride is not just the arrogant blowhard. Pride is the person who's so focused on all their inadequacies and all the stuff that they spend their whole time focused on themselves. We need to focus on him. You are a, you're, you're not the vine. You're a branch. Branches need each other. Branches support each other. Branches help push one up and stay close to the vine. That's our job. There's times that we get into stuff, and I'm going to close with this. There's times that we get into things. I feel so inadequate. I feel like I missed the mark. I feel like failure. I, I, I. I want to help you. Or maybe the other side of the deal, you know, somebody cut in front of me. Somebody was rude to me. <laughs> somebody didn't compliment me when I feel like I deserved it, right? All those are I thoughts. I is always a problem. Because anytime I is in the picture, you're walking after the flesh. You know how I know that? I'm going to read Galatians 2.20 and I want you to listen to it. Galatians 2.20, New King James. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I doesn't get an opinion. I is supposed to be dead. Focus on Jesus. Set your eyes on him. Set your hope on him. Set your affection on him. I can't get it done. I know I. I know there's a reason he had to die. And I know there's a reason God gave me a new heart and a new spirit. Amen. I am confident in him. And when we enter into the proper perspective and we begin to cultivate this, this God confidence, not mine, but him, it's about him, we'll become more and more God conscious. And as I said when we began, if you truly are God conscious, you're going to be thankful. We pray you were blessed by the message we were able to share with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to find out more about our ministry, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.